Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode. My name is Eric Payton, and this is my new podcast called Common Ground. I think this is just going to be a place where I can have some compelling conversations with interesting people who I feel like talking to and sharing with others. In this first episode you're about to listen to, I sat down with a good friend of mine, Khalil Carter. I'm white and Khalil is black, so I wanted to learn from him by asking about his experiences and perspective on the topic of race in America. I absolutely love Khalil. He's such a great guy, and if you're lucky to know him too, I know you love him as well. If you don't know him already, you're about to hear from someone you wish you knew. He's got a lot of great thoughts on the topic and is super honest and open about all of it. I had a lot of fun chatting with him, and I think you'll really enjoy this. Anyway, one last thing. I'm not sure how often I'll post some episodes in this podcast, uh, just whenever I find someone uh, to talk to and have the time, but be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new one drops. I think that's all I have for now, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for being here, Khalil. We got uh, Khalil Carter here in uh, in. Could we call this a studio? It's a studio. It's, it's a studio. It's your studio, if, buddy. if you want to call it a studio. <laughs> um, well, thanks for being here, and thanks for being willing to have this conversation because it's something that I think I'm. I need a lot, and I think a lot of people need is just to have like an open, honest, non-judgmental conversation about race, mm-hmm. um, and hearing your perspective and. Um, developing some empathy for someone they don't know sure so sure. I'm, I'm thankful to be here and uh you know when you when you do life with people of uh different perspectives and different cultures and viewpoints you grow and you grow through what you go through and so i'm glad to be here to grow yeah it, yeah know? awesome well like over this last week you know like i was saying before we turn this on it's just everything's gotten so much more um I don't know what the word is, heated or um, louder or um, depending on when people are listening to this, like the George Floyd murder happened, what, a couple weeks ago? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's been protests all this past week all over the country. um, And so it's had me thinking about what, what do I need to know and what do... What, how can I put myself in someone else's position and understand better? I, I've been thinking about, there's a Martin Luther King quote that says, people fear each other because they don't know each other. Amen. They don't, don't, don't know each other because they don't communicate. Right. And so that's why I wanted to like communicate with you. We, we already communicate, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I don't know if we've ever sat down and like talked about race. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for those who are listening who might not already know, Khalil part, played in the NFL, um, how many years? A year and a half. year and a half? Yep. For the Bills, Bills right? and the Browns, I was with the, the Browns. Browns for a time. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, went to University of Arkansas, played AFL, CFL, NFL Europe, yeah, mm-hmm. all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things you were saying to me in your text was you've lived a lot of places, had a lot of experiences, and have developed a lot of perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I have none of those. <laughs> I've lived basically in Iowa. I lived in in Kansas and Nebraska and a little bit of Colorado, um, <laughs> but it, I grew up in a very white area of the world mm-hmm. um and i still live in a very white area and i always have i've lived in small farm towns mm-hmm. I've, you know um and so i don't have much experience with racism or even knowledge of why or what is going on mm-hmm. um i think the first question i wanted to ask you is 
like what's the first time if you're comfortable sharing sure. that you remember experiencing racism yourself mm-hmm. yeah so um the first time I experienced racism wasn't a personal experience. It was just what I observed. Uh, I was in the 10th grade and I was going to school and there was all this news and, and fanfare over Rodney King and mm-hmm. uh, the the assault that took place on him um, by the LAPD cops. And uh, I remember seeing it on, on the news and not knowing what to think. I mean, I had a single mom. We were, we were African-American, black is what we call it in our home. We were, we were black and uh, we grew up in diverse neighborhoods that had all kinds of kids. I, I grew up playing with kids of all color. There was mm. on my football teams, on my basketball teams. Um, so I never really saw a difference. We were just kids, and there was just parents, and most of the people were middle class to lower income families, and so we all were in the same plight. Uh, and then I had moved to Arkansas, so I moved to the South, and that was a huge gap. I grew up in Washington, D.C., and then moving to the South oh, okay. was a huge change for me Okay, uh, from one pretty diverse area to one that had Jim Crow influence, to be honest. Okay. Um, but they're still, I had great experiences. And then you know, the Rodney King thing that day, and we get to school and everyone's charged and heated. And uh, there was talks about three years before that, there was a race riot. I went to Little Rock Central High School, okay. which desegregated in 1957. So it was one of the first three high schools to desegregate in the United States. The National Guard was called in. The Little Rock Nine were escorted. Okay. All yeah. of that. So we knew the history of our school. There was yeah. tension from before years. And I get to school, and and the white kids want to. They want to sit out with us. They we want to protest with you. Yeah. And for some reason, they weren't allowed. Um, the kids who were protesting didn't want the white kids. They were charged. They were upset. They were hurt. And I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why the same peers that I shared math, PE, chemistry class with couldn't sit down here and have a conversation. And back then, this was, what, 1991, yeah. uh, 1990, 91, race relations were a lot different than they are right now. And so the fact that we're still having discussions about them is good, but the fact that we're discussing the exact same type of events is mm-hmm. not. Uh, that was called on camera, and that changed the the really the whole uh, conversation. And now – you know, George Floyd was caught on camera and it continues to evolve. The conversation is what do we need to see in order for change to happen? Yeah. So that was the first one that really struck me. I've been called the N word a few times, mostly when I was playing. Oh yeah. <laughs> Got beer thrown on me and all kinds of stuff yeah. in different environments, but that's to be expected from fans and, and passionate people. Um, but I did get called the N word a few times in Arkansas. Uh, I had a couple of heated exchanges in traffic with, uh, you know, a, a, a different race, and it got disrespectful. I was young then, too. I'm sure I played my part into it. And uh, I had to learn uh, diversity in my actions, not just in who I am as a multicultural human, but as my actions and how I talk to people, how I give people grace, who I forgive, who I open a door for, who makes me f- afraid, um, who do I let into my home, who do I befriend, who gets in my wedding. I had to learn diversity because that picture speaks volumes about my true character. And so yeah. I've always wanted that that rainbow. Yeah. So what's like um, both in 10th grade and then I guess now too, like when you when you experience something like that, what's your like, what's your emotion behind mm-hmm. that? What's your what do you what are you feeling what are you sadness in yourself sadness yeah. um always always empathy um uh, for me um i'm very empathetic um i can empathize with george Floyd all the way up to the president we mm-hmm. know the the, the 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 job of being president of the united states is a tough job 
Mm-hmm. It takes your character and it distorts it. And so now you have to make calls and do things that maybe you wouldn't have done in your regular walk of life. And the same thing, when I see George, I see a man who, um, the way it's being said is he's lynched in public in a mm-hmm. way. Um, and with people there saying, get off of him, people, he can't breathe, him gasping for saying, air, yeah. your colleague saying, roll him over, let's get him. And we st- and it still happens. And so sadness is the number one emotion. Um, I think anger got got changed a long time ago. I used to get mad um, about it, but who am I mad at? That one person, the whole police force, yeah. United States government, the whole wide world. No, I, I think it became sadness because I grieve now that we're still here. I grieve for that person's life. I grieve for that family, that daughter. Um, and I grieve for the people who are going to misunderstand and say mm-hmm. that he deserved it or that his past choices led him here or those things. And it, it's sad. So th- that's one thing that I've heard <clears throat> thrown around is is maybe not that he deserved it, but they'll run through his criminal record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I when I hear that, I don't even know how to respond mm-hmm. because I, I I can't relate. So I, I guess the 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 um, argument from one side would be like, well, he should stop putting himself in those positions. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, he didn't do anything there to deserve to die. Right. So how do you, how do you? Yeah think through that situation because i don't know what is criminal record i just know people have said that and, but that also doesn't in in my mind some done doesn't matter much sure. you know, sandra bland or Brianna Ta- taylor or uh michael brown or any mm-hmm. of those like there we can go through a laundry list of, sure. of ones that have not had an extensive criminal history sure. and yet this one also feels different I don't know if because of the video that was taken or because everyone's in the midst of another trying time of a a pandemic Mm -hmm. that that there's a lot of emotion behind it. But I guess I don't know what question I'm asking you right now is like, how do you think about like a past criminal record, but also like Mm -hmm. him being murdered in broad daylight? (sighs) Proportionately. So I'll give you a stat. Uh, I read this the other day and, I, I believe it is accurate. In 2015, there were 104 unarmed shootings of black men and women, mm-hmm. uh, people of color, uh, black and black and brown women people. Uh, out of that 104, um, by cops, there were only 13 cops that were charged. So that's mm-hmm. what right around less than 10 percent, mm-hmm. roughly. Okay, um, or right around 10 percent. And um, out of that 13, only five actually were convicted. Okay, mm-hmm. one of them pled guilty, so really four actually were convicted. Yeah. The other eight either had mistrials, uh, were exonerated, or are still pending trial. And this is four five years ago. Okay, yeah. so it's up yeah. until now. Um, and so when you look at that stat, proportionately, blacks are five times more likely to be killed by cops than whites. Let's say per whites per yeah. se. So proportionately, when I say George Floyd passed away or was killed. Um, for something that was not deserving of the penalty, um, you have to count the number of times that's happened. Yeah. Um, when you can see cases where uh, affluence gets you leniency. Varsity Blues is an example. There was a swimmer a couple years ago that raped yeah. the girl, and he got off yeah. when there was the exact same scenario for a black, and he got 10 years. Um, the disparities 
are being remembered by this generation. Yeah. yeah, they were told stories about the civil rights movement from their grandparents, my our parents, but we didn't really see it. We were young, and that was just stories, almost like movies. Like mm-hmm. you remember the black and white images, mm-hmm. but now we're in living color, and now this generation is saying, "Wait a minute, black and white." Now we're in color, and all this technology and information and and science and and pr- progress, we're still making the same mistakes. So when I see it, I say, "Man." That continues to happen disproportionately to African-Americans. That is a problem. And I think that's where the responsibility lies with everyone, to be able to count it. Count it. It happens to whites, too. <laughs> Those are the big facts. I saw a uh, meme the other day about a kid. Same thing happened to happen to George Floyd. Uh, he was kneed on. He, he was uh, asphyxiated, and he died. And there was no outrage. But if you count the number of times that happens, let's say, and I don't want to give any uh minimal exposure or many minimal effects of this issue is a problem but let's say it was 50 of them um and then it was 104 well we only make up 25 percent of the population so yeah. then the proportionate iowa a stat that i saw maybe five years ago or so said that iowa has a higher incarceration for blacks per capita than many of the states i just saw that today in that the united great, states yeah. well we only have 10 percent of the population here so if we are that high per per capita we are locking up African-Americans at a higher rate. Yeah. And so those disparities over a course of time, and I'm not going to say 400 years, mm-hmm. but that's since slavery, but probably for at least 60 years, yeah. the data has continued to be disproportionate. And we know better. We do better. We are fighting for equity and equality if it's possible. But why aren't we noticing the disparity? Uh, I think today we are. People of all colors, cultures, and races are saying, Geesh already. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, yeah. George Floyd should have been arrested that day. And he was in handcuffs. He should have been put in that car. I don't care if he's resisting or not. Let him kick out the windows. Get him to the jailhouse and get him in front of the, the court. The police job is to get him in front of the court, in yeah. front of the judge, not to exact justice. So that, that kind of brings up another question, I think. Um, so like with George Floyd, it was... It was, well, it was, I want to say one man, but it was four guys, mm-hmm. four police officers who, who did something terrible. How do you look at an individual's actions and systemic? Because, mm-hmm. like, I can control my own actions. Mm-hmm. I can make sure that I don't put my knee, for, for lack of a better example, sure. put my knee on s- some black guy's neck and yep. kill him. Mm-hmm. But... How do you have, because this is all about empathy, right? Mm-hmm. And understanding and, and and putting yourself in someone else's shoes and, and also changing the system. How do you look at the individual acts of racism and systemic sure. acts of racism? Does that yep. question make sense? Yep. No, it does make sense. So I think um, it's tough. It's tough to do that um, because one is kind of a catalyst for the other and the other one is kind of a... A result of the other mm. so what happened to george floyd was an individual response negative individual response to a situation i do not believe the minnesota department told him that day hey we choking out people today mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're killing people today that never happens but they are told to target brown people and people of color at a, at a higher rate they are t- taught that they are taught to sometimes subdue a criminal or a suspect by any means necessary 
to protect your life and the life of your other, other your officers. They do have a blue line that they hold very, very closely. It's like a football team. If yeah. you hit my quarterback late, yeah. you, every offensive lineman is going to jump you and take the penalty. They don't <laughs> yeah. care. Take yeah. the penalty. Protect yeah. the quarterback. Um, and so sy- systematically or systemically, um, you look at how many states have issues. Now, you look at the South is really a mess. Mississippi. Texas, Georgia, Alabama have all had major black eyes in the last 10 years with DNA evidence, wrong convictions, finding out that officers and high-ranking officials are members of hate and supremacy groups. That underlines and undermines every great effort that we've done because now you go back and overturn 300 cases, 1,000 cases here. There are there are um, organizations that are designed to go back and look at cold cases and cases of wrongdoing and people's appeals, and they're they're exonerating people who mm-hmm. were wrongfully convicted. Yeah. And so that's the systemic part. That's how you can see it. It is a tree. And from that tree is fruit. And on that on that tree is rotten fruit. But what we're doing is we're eating it like it's all the same when we know we have to pick the rotten fruit from that tree. Mm-hmm. That helps the tree. Mm-hmm. But instead, we harvest it all. And then we decide which ones we take away and we don't. So yeah. that's the system part of it. Individually, it is difficult to say, okay, uh, Derek Chauvin is a bad person. Well, he's had a couple of shootings on his on his job, which is normal for cops. Um, he's had numerous complaints against him. And, uh, okay, he's a cop. Some people don't like cops. So how do you judge it? Well, you judge it by the number. I think it was like more than 10 or 12, 15, 18 complaints in his time. Um, he had a number of shootings. And I'll give you another example. In L.A., right around the time of George Floyd, there was a young Latino man who was killed. They were looting. People were looting. They were on scene. Police arrived. He got on his knees. They put his hands up and they shot him. Two of the three cops had had recent shootings. One of them had had three shootings in five months. Mm. Just on the basic understanding of what that does to a person's psyche, he should be on desk job. He should be on yeah. non-aggressive because right now he's 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 doing his job, but maybe you know one of the guys shot a guy on a bike riding away. I read yeah. this right, and so yeah. when you see that, that can't be an individual, just, just an individual response. That has to be a not necessarily policy handed down from up top, but it has to be a practice that is at least um, allowed to happen. Um, like for instance, uh, I'll give another example. When I was playing football, the New Orleans Saints got in trouble for what they call bounty gate, where oh, the coach yeah. was paying for to hurt hurt people. Mm-hmm. That was not a part of the rules, but that's been going on since football. Oh yeah. Okay? okay. Every time I've hit someone and hurt them, the people in the room cheer. The coach cheers. He yeah. gives you praise. When you're soft and you don't hit them hard enough, you get laughed at. You get ridiculed. You get almost ostracized. And so we celebrate the excess right Mm -hmm. and i think that's the same thing happens in many organizations when someone does above and beyond you do good but i do my job good too every day i don't get the recognition and i think when you do that when you're supposed to be protecting and serving and you go above and beyond it makes it a little bit more difficult to understand why for instance we have one bad cop we have five good cops Mm -hmm. what about one bad pilot Mm -hmm. okay one bad pilot can affect 200 passengers okay yeah. so we do a really good job of screening pe- uh, pilots 
we don't do the same job of screening police. So that's the systemic part that is part of a system. Isn't an intentional regulation of lives and death? I don't think it's that, but I do think it's the locus of control that we don't get correct for all people, especially people who are minorities and in lower income areas. Poverty brings upon crime, crime brings the police, those interactions bring across casualties, but how do we fix that? Look at legislation that has been passed, let's say since 1960. How much of it is it anti-police misconduct? We haven't really got a chance to skim that topic mm-hmm. and make corrective legislation to hold cops accountable. We have prosecuted them yeah. because of video evidence. Yeah, And even in some of those cases, they have to retract their statements after watching body cam. Yeah. At first, we didn't push the man down in Buffalo. Oh, yeah. oh, wait. Yes, you did. Oh, you caught me. Oh, yeah. now yeah. I'm caught. So yeah. now everybody quits to in support. That's yeah. the blue line. Well, those guys were wrong. So, yeah. you know. So it's, it's kind of like there are motivations for towing the line mm-hmm. um, or, or for following a black man in a car. Or for, am I hearing that? Like, there's, yeah. it's, it's almost like it's just ingrained in the 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 job or mm-hmm. how things are set up. That, mm-hmm. well, if I want to get ahead or if I want to do well, then I'm going to do these things which negatively affect minorities. Um, oh, so you said something in there that I, I wanted to ask you a question about. Um, oh, the poverty 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 part. So. How how do you see that? Is because mm-hmm. I've been talking my with my wife about that mm-hmm. about like poverty is a is a big motivator, and so when we um when it, when a cop is following a black man in a, a low income neighborhood, his through his. It, it's like it's like the system is probably t- motivating him to do it. Is 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 there a economic part that you see to it that? Mm-hmm. It's, do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, like I do. Like I think I do. I've I've always always heard like. You know when when slaves were freed. Yeah, they were freed, but they weren't really given any an economic value they were or supposed support. To, they were supposed to. They were supposed to. Forty so, acres and a mule. But they, but they didn't. It, it was basically nothing. nothing. Is what my understanding is. Mm-hmm. And so you, they're starting behind. And so for poverty to be a a big motivating factor, like we all have to like make a living. You have to feed your kids. Mm-hmm. You have to feed yourself. You know, you, have, you need shelter. You need how how are how would you help someone who's never experienced that? Not the poverty aspect of mm-hmm. it, but just like the disparity the, of the, the disparity mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. to understand like it's not bad people, it's bad system. Mm-hmm. It, you mm-hmm. know what I'm you know what I'm yep. saying? Yep. I, I know I'm, I'm realizing I'm asking really bad questions. No, no, but, you're but I'm a trying good to question. like you're doing a great job. I understand. I I think um, you look at it like this um, when we're driving in our comfort of our own cars, let's say you and your wife are are on your way to dinner downtown Mm -hmm. and you're going to third street downtown to Mm -hmm. have a dinner. And usually on that third street exit, there is a homeless person with a sign. Mm -hmm. Um, How many times do we roll the window down to give that person money? Mm -hmm. And why we we do that? Because what we know he's poor, we know he's without, 
Okay, have I ever given him a hundred? I think a hundred would probably feed him for a week or two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Okay. It also could possibly fund his alcoholism, drug abuse, yeah. or anything else. And so we we make a decision what we give. How many times have we got out of the car and hugged that person? Well, we don't know if he's clean. We don't know if he is has diseases. We have all these fears. We have all these reasons not to do something that is uh, humanitarian. Um, and I think that's what the cop sees. Okay, this person is different from me. Mm-hmm. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm a taxpayer. I own my home. I got my wife. I don't know who this dude is. Without saying, this is a person who has the exact same needs, wants, desires, loves, hurts, weaknesses as I do. I'm going to categorize this person as something other than I am. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm in the the, the 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 poor neighborhoods, and that is magnified because now you can see it. Now there's all this visual. There's a visual. There is an understanding. There is a a training there is a policy there is a procedure there is a um, attitude there is a atmosphere of um, superiority as a cop in in general i'm an authority figure i don't know Mm -hmm. if you've ever watched the policing the police videos they have Mm -hmm. these people who go around america auditing the police okay videotaping them almost provoking them yeah but they know their constitutional rights so they will film police stations but be on public property and they can't be trespassed, they can't be removed because constitutionally it is their right. First Amendment rights to video and freedom of speech and press. Okay. There are cops that still get it wrong because yeah. they don't know the law. So now we have cops that don't know the law, cops that don't know these people, mm-hmm. they don't identify with them, they live across town, and they're na- they're policing a neighborhood that is not theirs. That is not their concern or their understanding. So there's immediate disconnect, immediate separation of me and them. And that's what it becomes, us and them. And now that stop becomes a little more controversial because he's asking you, why are you stopping me? Yeah. Why are you stopping me? Well, tell him. Sir, you didn't have your seatbelt on. Yes, I did. Well, sir, I'm going to give you a ticket. Can I have your license and registration? The job of the cop is to get the ticket not to make that person understand why they stopped. And so then it gets escalated and then it gets out of proportion. It, the citizen should comply even if they are believe that they are to be in the right because you can always go to court and prove that. Yeah, And that's what we're teaching our children in our communities is that be, survive long enough to make it to court. Okay, Do what you have to do to make it to court. I'm sure that, that's not a thought. You know, with white no. people, maybe it's, I don't want to pay this ticket. You yeah. know, why is this, you know, I, I wasn't speeding. But at some point, it has to be a um, either release of pride and say, I'm going to let this cop do his job, which is how I handle it, whether, mm-hmm. he, whether he's wrong or not. And then I'll deal with it and I'll fight it afterwards. So with the understanding of the process is education. Well, in those poor neighborhoods, the cop automatically thinks these these people do not know the law. They will argue with them. The person can be right. Some people do. Some people are auditors. They know the law. They study. But the cop is automatically going to be the authority on the law, whether he knows the penal codes or not. And so now we have a disagreement. We're disagreeable. We cannot come to a a, a place where we can agree. And so then what it becomes is that the cops just do his job. Don't yeah. try to rationalize. Don't try to lecture. Don't try to 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 downgrade or degrade or yell or scream or or anything. Just give him the ticket. That way that person yep. has his day in court. And we miss that because of, hey, I'm the authority. I'm educated. 
I don't live here. Look at what you're driving. And there's an immediate rush to judgment there when there should be a rush to empathy. Do you remember when you were 19 years old and poor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. I know. I remember. College was a poor time. You were an athlete. We didn't get paid. We, yeah. we had scholarship and that's it. Um, so I remember those days. And, and what makes it easier for me to be have empathy for that is I remember. Same thing when I'm raising my kids. I remember being 11. I remember not understanding being shy around girls, being awkward, couldn't ride a bike, couldn't chew bubble gum, couldn't tie my, tie, my, tie my own shoes, couldn't change oil, couldn't change a bike tire. Mm-hmm. And those are frustrating times. And so the empathy that I have is because I experienced it. But imagine if I had never. Imagine me trying to empathize with someone from the LGBT community. It's going to be more difficult for me to empathize with them, although I still have to find a way to. So that person is a human being. They have feelings. I empathize with them on that level, and I shut up and I listen. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen and slow to speak about mm-hmm. things that you are unsure or don't know about. And that's the way you learn. And that's yeah. how you, you can see the mind state of the cop and the person that is being profiled or stopped, did, who is this cop? Now, when it's a black cop, oh, he ain't gonna give me a ticket. Just the same as a white person who gets stopped by a white cop. Maybe I can talk my way out of this. Maybe I'm a pretty lady. Maybe I'm an older lady. Maybe I'm someone who has a disability. I might be able to talk my way out of that, but it is, it's every case is so different. Yeah. So then where really is the standard? So you said something in there that you teach your kids are you talking like your athletes or like your kids my children your children my children to just get your day in court basically yep yep there's no reason to fight it you can't fight it right there but the fact that you have had that conversation with your kids mm-hmm. is shocking to me mm-hmm. um i've had a lot of speeding tickets in my <laughs> life <laughs> and i've never I've well, I've never been innocent because I've always been speeding when like there's every time I've been pulled over, there's a reason like it's yeah, blatantly yeah, obvious why, yeah. you know. And so I, I also can't put myself in a position where I've been pulled over and I have no idea why I've been pulled mm-hmm. over because mm-hmm. every time I've been pulled over, I I definitely deserved it. Right. You know, I was speeding. I had whatever, whatever it was. Um, So. But the other thing is you probably been told. And what I see is a lot of interactions between cops and people uh, who, are, who are white Americans or um, non-people of color in that in the, that political term or that political correct term is that um, they get explained to. And, you know, hey, hey, sorry, you were doing 70 and 80. You're an 80 and a 70, a 90 and a 50. And then you know, and then you comply. And then a lot of times it's, okay, well, why are you stopping me? License and registration. Then you don't do that. Then you're out of the car. And that's when everything changes, right? A traffic stop shouldn't have to result with someone being put out of the car unless there's a smell of alcoholism, uh, some type of drugs, or some type of probable cause, which is the law. But we, we, we circumvent a lot of steps with them trying to find a reason to make that traffic stop turn into an arrest. And that is disproportionate, is disproportionate with people of color in our, in mm-hmm. our country. And, and, and that's what happened with Sandra Bland. I think yeah. it was something so minor yeah. And then it turned into an arrest and a a, a a forceful arrest, and then she ends up dying in custody. And so yeah. that should have just been a ticket. Yeah. That should have been a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, maybe this is a personal question, but sure. no. do, you, have you, do, or do you or have you ever 
been afraid of cops or had, had been, been pulled over and and ha- experienced yeah. that fear. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you. An, I'll, yeah, I was, I was driving. I actually drove to Atlanta. Um, a friend of mine, uh, my former teammates, was had just bought a house. Went to go help him uh, paint and and do some renovations in his house. Stay for a weekend. And I drove through from Arkansas to Atlanta, and there's a highway that goes through Birmingham. Now, I've been to Birmingham. I was in Birmingham when I was in NFL Europe when I got hurt playing in NFL Europe. And we were at Health South Birmingham, which is the NFL's major medical facility with uh, their leading physician. And uh, so I, I knew what it was like a little bit, but I was driving through there. So it was nothing to me. I had been up and down that road going back and forth home when I was uh, living in Arkansas and, and in Health South Birmingham. But now I'm driving through there just going through the road, and I'm in a – Nice truck, Tahoe. Uh, it's on 22-inch rims, nice nice rims, mm-hmm. tinted out, got a little bit of a paint job on it. You know, it's nice. It's a, it's a professional athlete's car. Yeah. And I'm driving, and this guy p- comes up to me on the highway and pulls up. And I'm thinking, like, okay, could be a fan. I don't know. I mean, I did have, like, I make touchdowns on my tag or something yeah. at the time. Yeah. I make TDs. And uh, he pulled up, waved at him, pulled off. He pulls up again, looking at my car. Now it's kind of weird. I pull up. He pulls up again. Doesn't say anything to me. He's looking. So, you know, I'm like, okay, now this is, I mean, I don't have time. Like, yeah. I don't know. What, I'm in Birmingham. I'm going to keep driving. Yeah. And so I pull into the city of Birmingham and seven cops pull me over. Okay. Wow. Uh, they stop me. They tell me to, to turn my car off, put my keys out the window, drop them, put both hands out of the window, unlock my car from the outside, press my hands in a, in a, a class behind my head, walk backwards, kneel down, and then they put me in handcuffs. This is before I know anything. Wow. Now, it's called a felonious stop. So yeah. anytime cops think a felony is in progress, they are allowed to use excessive force to figure the outcome, which I think is crazy because I, I tried to find out what my rights were. Um, they put me in the back of the police car. They asked me, whose car is that? I told them, mine. I have license and registration. I can get it for them. But at this point, I'm in handcuffs in the car. I can't even give them my license yeah. and registration. Um, they go through my car and search my car. Um, they find my license and registration. The man who was following me comes up. They come back to the car. And they say, we're sorry. This man thought that you stole his car. And I say, uh, did you run my tax? And they say, no. Well, my tax come back to me. It's a high crime area. A lot of cars get thrown around here. But I have registration i have tags then they're personalized mm-hmm. <laughs> they're per- and yeah. their personalized tags come back to me yeah so if they had just even when they stopped me if they had just ran my tags saw that it was me came to the car got my license registration this guy thought the car was yours we're just checking this car sorry for the inconvenience i know that this is an inconvenience for you but we're going to just go ahead and do this because we have to the man said he reported it stolen then i would have been on my way instead i in the in the process of me going in handcuffs i was so afraid that I pulled my hamstring. I worked out for the Cleveland Browns two weeks later with the pull hamstring. I still ran a four four one, but Jeez. I was a four three five guy. Yeah. I did, I got signed by the Cleveland Browns. I got a signing bonus, yeah. but they ended up releasing me right after that um, for another reason. But yeah. maybe it was because I didn't run as fast as I could have. Maybe wow. they were looking for something else. But long story short, that was the scariest moment that I had had, and it was based on me doing nothing, just being yeah. black in america going through the south in a nice vehicle and fitting the description that's that's kind of what what another part of that was i was going to say is like in a nice vehicle is it just an assumption that 
you shouldn't have a nice be- vehicle. I think it like, has been the assumption. I think nowadays you know, everybody has a Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty cheap nowadays. <laughs> I mean, Thirty thousand is not what it used to be. I guess. <laughs> but I that that just that that story blows my mind because, like I said, I've been pulled over a lot, all for speeding. Um, I was pulled over once, I think, for having like a tail light out, but it was at like. 1.30 in the morning, so obviously they're looking for drunk drivers, and I don't think I, like, I didn't have my license on me or registration or anything like that, and I got a warning and just like, just yep. go home. Like, yep. and so for this is something like, I can, I that's helping me like, identify like, put myself in your position mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I've never once in all in all of my times being pulled over, had any fear that I would even be taken out of the car. Mm. Or even like uh, the, was it Flando Castillo? Yep. Uh, he wasn't even taken out of the car, he, but he was, so right. like the fear Just of Just because like, he had a gun. Just because like, he had a gun. A license registration he, gun. He said that? he had a gun. Yep. And, but I, I don't think I've ever even thought like, oh, this man walking up next to me has a gun. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, gosh, there was something I was going to say in there. I, like, there's so many thoughts that yeah. I, 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 the, um, but the fear, the fear, I don't understand the fear. Um, when I watch police in police academies, and not the movie, not the old movie because those were great. Um, but when I watch police train and do combat training and um, you know crisis uh, intervention and de-escalation techniques, it all looks like it should work. But then why are we afraid? You have the power of an entire force on your side. If you're ever afraid, call them back up. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why fear of someone you don't know would make you overreact. Right. If anything, it will make me underreact. If I'm afraid of you, I'm going to avoid you. If 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 not, if not. Um, but we've seen countless incidences where fear has been a motivating factor to totally go outside of a person. I'm sure, uh, what's the woman's name um, the, who shot the, shot the cop, shot the guy in his, in his own apartment watching... Brianna Taylor? Mm-hmm. No, in the watch shot the guy eating ice cream. Remember the mistaken apartment? She came up and... Oh, Geiger. Oh, um, yep, Geiger. And M- Amber Geiger. Amber Geiger. Yeah, yeah, that's her name. But yep. um, yeah, uh, in Texas, yeah, they I can't know, think yeah. of his name right now. But yeah, um, to go to if I go into a home and someone's in there, my first intention is going to be to run. It, yeah. It's to run. It's, it's it's to get away. And even as a licensed firearm, uh, fire firearm, uh, citizen, fire on a citizen, uh, we are taught. To escape first. Even mm-hmm. if someone comes in your home, they tell you not to engage that person. They tell you to retreat. And if you can, re- you can't retreat anymore. That's when you are allowed to legally mm-hmm. use um, deadly, deadly force as a citizen. If you go outside your home because you hear something and you engage a criminal and you shoot them, you might be found criminally negligent by law. Mm-hmm. So in those courses, they also tell you how to deal with a cop. When they stop you, if you're carrying both hands on the steering wheel for his comfort and yours, you tell them, you ask, you ask questions. Can I get my license? Can I get my thing? That is the normal protocol when you're carrying as a licensed Second Amendment uh, carrying citizen. Now, that's the way it is for black people all the time. Yeah. Every time I'm stopped, my hands go on the steering wheel. I don't have to be carrying, but I have to make sure this cop is not feeling threatened by me. Just because. And that is the disparity that yeah. you talked about. You don't have to yeah. worry about it. I do. I have to. 
you know, part, uh, I, I think there's some people who look at police officers and think, well, they they are in a profession that's more dangerous than most people. And so some of that fear is warranted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but like, where's the line between that fear being okay to have as a police officer? Because I don't think all police officers, I think pl- all police officers have some level of fear sure. when they go on the job because their lives always in danger sure. regardless of who you know yep. they're, they're dealing in high tense situations mm-hmm. but where does that fear where do you see that fear ending and unnecessary race fear yeah i don't know what to call it but yeah. it's started you know what i mean like th- that, l- that line sometimes i think is blurred by people because they they see like okay so there's this black life matters black lives matter and then there's blue lives matter as like a response it's right awesome. mm-hmm First of all, no one's no one's saying blue lives don't matter. Right. But I think the response is like that they they deserve more grace because they're in a higher. I, I I'm tr- I'm trying to yeah think no, of no, why that's, that's why argument. that come, you know what that's I mean a good argument that's a good argument they and they do they do I mean just like our military it's the same thing it's our military if they have some casualties of citizens we have grace because they don't know who's shooting at them they're yeah. they're in they're a place where there are suicide bombers that are moms and kids and and they may shoot the wrong person um and that's there's the grace for i think there's still a protocol and a consequence to making that kind of mistake Mm -hmm. because um with great power become comes great responsibility um and with great authority should come a great understanding of um how to wield it and not everyone is um, responsible enough to handle it i think that like we talked about before off, off the podcast is that I think the line is that education. So if we take an 18 year old kid from high school and don't send them to college first and we send them to the police department, where, then where do, what do we do with that cop? Mm-hmm. That kid's young. He doesn't have many life experiences, doesn't have a family, can't empathize with people who do. Maybe that guy shouldn't be a cop. Yeah. Maybe he should have to get a criminology degree. Maybe she he should have to have a minor in uh, diversity studies, youth advocacy, uh, f- uh, women's suffrage to understand what it's like to deal with these different entities that you're going to engage instead of it just being training and protocol. A, B yeah. plus equals C, yeah. because not everybody's going to be A, B plus C equals C. You're going to have some D's and some E's in there that you're going to have to deal differently. Um, in football, we say you can't treat everybody the same, but you can treat everybody fairly. Yeah. And that's not administered across the board, especially in something as high profile as policing. I have the utmost respect for cops. I have family members. I have teammates. I have friends that are cops. And I don't know their all their resumes, um, but I know their character. And I, I knew that some of them were going to be cops. They just mm-hmm. were protectors. Yeah. Yeah. Protectors. <laughs> I don't know a guy who I thought was a gang banging killer turn into one to be a cop. Yeah, he probably was anti-cop because yeah. he was, you know, the, on the opposite side of it. But then we have the other extreme. We have people who are very militaristic, people who are gun enthusiasts, people who hunt and regularly see blood and guts and brains, and and it's nothing to them, which is fine because that's our that's our heritage as a nation. Um, but then we put those people behind a badge, and they don't see the criminal any different than they do see the deer. Mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah. And, and that's that's the scary part. So what do we have in place right now? We have psychological assessments. We have background checks. We have uh, training assessments and high-pressure situation, tactical assessments and things. We put them in. But do we ever really find out what this person's level of empathy and diversity is? Mm-hmm. Should a person who grew up in, I don't, I don't, I don't know how, uh, Iowa's land. I'm going to say somewhere it's not near here. Let's say someone who grew up in Keokuk, Iowa, yeah. which I, I used to recruit. So I know it's pretty far away. Yeah. Should Keokuk, Iowa police officers be in Drake's neighborhood? Drake's neighborhood has a lot of diverse immigrants and people. I think someone of a diverse, maybe someone who went to Hoover yeah. should be in that yeah. neighborhood, right? Yeah. So Because they know the type of people that are in there. And I think we get that wrong. So now that encounter in the poor neighborhood becomes different. Now that encounter from the speeding becomes different because that cop cannot empathize. He either is too young, too, too undertrained, too ill-prepared, too afraid, or too, too ethnically different or biased to say this person's trying to get home to their family right now. Yeah, they didn't turn their signal on their right turn. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give them a ticket or I'm going to give them a warning. Now, does that person go on to rape somebody the next day? I don't know. I, I get the, the dual perspective. But stopping crime in the future like Judge Dredd, <laughs> we don't have those little harpies that can see the future and we can go mm-hmm. in and stop it. Yeah. But that's why. And that's why we have a process and a court system and a justice system so that cops aren't judge dressed. They don't uh, deal out punishment and consequences. What they do is they give out the paperwork to get you in front of the judge. The judge does that. That's mm-hmm. why he is. He's educated. Yeah. He's experienced. He has had probably numerous cases under his belt. He's probably been a lawyer. He's probably been a trial lawyer, a defense lawyer, a, a cleric. I mean, a, a clerk. He's probably done all of that. Yeah. So he has a great foundation to be an authority. Some of these cops need to be yeah. educated. Yeah, I think that's a great point of like, you know, it, well, <clears throat> if you like, like I told you, like I didn't, I, I grew up in a very white town. I mean, mm. there were there were other races in my graduating class, but but if you put someone who's like your example, Keokuk, into Drake neighborhood, it's like if you have the scale in your brain and all the black people that you've ever met have all been in the process of committing a crime, whether that's speeding five miles an hour over the (laughs) speed limit or, you know, like whatever it is, Mm -hmm. it's probably putting a lot, you know, your, your scale is tipping in the other direction because you haven't met a wide span of people who are just normal people, you know? Um, So that's, that's a great point. So I also want to get into like the not police part of it. Sure. Of course. So that's like the systematic, Mm -hmm. um, the training and I, that's I, I love hearing your perspective on that because I've I've had like I said my share of interactions with the police as well and it hearing yours and how uh, how black people experience it is very different is crazy it is shocking to me mm-hmm. but like in your everyday life with non police officers mm-hmm. so do you separate like in your mind, intentional racism with unintentional. Like I'm sure in my life I've said something stupid that is insensitive. Mm -hmm. And I don't think in my heart I, I, I've ever meant it, but I'm sure I've said, you know what I mean? Yeah. But but then there's also, you've said you've been called the N word. Mm -hmm. 
that seems very intentional. You know, yeah. how do you, how do you view those two yeah. racist acts? Yeah, um, I think for me it's different. Again, I've been privileged. I've I've been I'm educated, so I can give a certain amount of logic, understanding, and situational um, credence to a certain event. So okay. a guy could cut me off in traffic and give me the finger and have a confederate flag on his truck i don't necessarily say he's a racist i mean oh, he's a jerk okay. right <laughs> now whatever he says out of his mouth to me creates whatever category that that, that comes in yeah um so though so there are unintentional um acts of and, and maybe racism may not be the right word but acts of just um non-tolerance or intolerance yeah okay and tolerance used to be the word for a long time let's just be tolerant let's be tolerant let's be tolerant and now tolerance has become not enough yeah. um and so I, I i do look at them similarly um for instance i took a job as the as, as a defense coordinator in the canadian football league and um my my head coach was mike sherman former green bay packers mm. head coach uh he is from boston he is culturally in every way different from me. Now, I played professionally. He didn't. He was in the NFL for a long time. I was only there for a short time. He's from Boston. I'm from Washington, D.C. I mean, that's very stark contrast. So we wouldn't have a lot to in common. Um, when I interviewed with him, he said I had one of the best interviews he has ever given as a head coach. Hmm. Um, and so educationally prepared, uh, knowledgeable, respectful, um, all those things check boxes for him. Yeah. And then he saw how I dressed. He saw me wearing Jordans and matching clothes and, and, and nice watches and things. Yeah. And he immediately assumed I wasn't professional enough to lead his team. And so he put me, uh, they took, they took me out of the coordinator job and put me in a scouting role, which eventually led to a severance package. Why did he do that? Because he didn't believe I was professional enough without even giving me a chance to, Prove that I was. Now I had just been forty-two and ten with another team, went yeah. to two championships, had three number one defenses. In the last five years before that, I had went to four championships, mm -hmm. winning two. So I, my my resume was intact. Yeah. I was a player at a high level. I knew the game, um, and so all of those matched. But this one thing, our cultural differences, was enough for him not to trust me. Right, uh, and so I I. I won't call him a racist, even though I've talked to Amon Green, who is the running back for the Packers. I talked to Amon Green, and he told me that he had similar experiences with, with Coach Sherman. But then I also talked to um, another deep, uh, Al Harris. They're mm. all pro cornerbacks. Yeah. I talked to Al, who's now the deepest of the back of the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm a big Packer fan, so you're, you're like picking <laughs> I'll listen to Dale for you. And a Husker, so Amon Green, you're like, <laughs> yes, you got them all. Me and AG all. are good friends. Yeah. I, I talked to Al Harris, and Al Harris has a totally different perspective. Okay. He thinks that Coach Sherman was a great man to him and helped him get into coaching and was like a dad to him and, you know, always paid him fairly. And I, I, I just it's, – it's a distinct. So I think it definitely is a choice. Um, but it's, it is a choice for us to say the word racism out of mouth. I don't throw away on the word racist very likely, very easy. It is not everybody who disagrees with you. It is not everybody who doesn't think black lives matter slogan-wise. It's not everybody who won't march with you. It's not everybody who won't say um, Derek Chauvin should get the death penalty. That's, that's not everybody who's racist because they don't agree with you. But it is racist if you think that one people are above another. Mm -hmm. Majority culture rule is based on historical evidence. In many countries, one one 
population has evolved to the top of the food chain. And then there's always going to be some type of revolution, change, turnover, and process that gets that to moving around. But it doesn't happen that way overnight, and it shouldn't take 400 years either. Mm -hmm. So we're slow to do things that other countries have progressively done. New Zealand, they had gun problems. They put in gun restrictions. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they have problems. Um, we have problems with kids using tobacco and vaping. We just now raised the limit to 20, yeah. the age limit to 21 yeah. in 2020, 2019. Yeah. So we're slow to really do the things that we need to do. And I think that um, people just need to be more cognizant of how difficult that process is, how difficult it is to be a cop, to be a president, or to be an African-American man in America. It is difficult. It is maybe more difficult than what they're used to or what they know. So that's where you must empathize. I got it easy. As an athlete, man, I had it pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Most cops pulled me over, ran my name, and either recognized my name or I was quick to tell them who I was and who I played for yeah. just to get favor. So that was something that I used. Yeah. But every time I got pulled over, I had my hand on the, on, the, on, the, on the dash. When I encounter the average citizen that is white here in Iowa, I immediately think, does he go to my church? Hmm. So I immediately give him grace because he could be the guy I is in my next men's group. And I want to love him. But until he shows me that he has a prejudice, a bias, a racism of some sort, then he's just the same as me. And that's what my diversity brings to the table. When people don't have that experience, they miss that and they stay close to the values that they were uh, either raised with or that they feel helped them stay in their bubble. Well, there are a lot of bubbles that need to be shattered. How do you do that? Step outside of it and then look at that person as if it was you. Yes, you didn't kneel on George Floyd, but what if George Floyd had kneeled on you? Hmm. And that's a huge just visual. What's the movie? Um, a Time to Kill. Uh, yep, with hmm. Matthew McConaughey okay. and um, I can't remember who the the black actor is. Oh, Samuel Jackson. Okay. And so there is a uh, his his daughters get get raped by some white Southerners, and he shoots them, and they put him on trial. And in his closing statements, he says they raped, spit, abused, beat her to an inch of her life. They said, "I want you to." He said, "I want you to close your eyes, right? Because this is a black man and a black daughter." He said, "I want you to close your eyes." Now imagine if that girl was white and it shook the courtroom and it got him exonerated. But that's what we have to do. We have to close our eyes and say, would I feel the same if that was my daughter or me or my brother or my classmate or someone who I value and care about? It totally changes the dynamic. And I'll say one more thing. Same thing with COVID. COVID may or may not be what they say that it is. I know people who've had it and recovered. Mm. They say people are dying. I get it. Um, and I have so much empathy for people in general because of it. Mm -hmm. I have a, a weakened immune system because of medicine. Mm. I get it. I'm scared a little bit of certain interactions. Um, but what I say is, what if your grandma got it? If it's your grandmother, it changes the impact of the entire conversation. Now you have empathy because it affects you. Well, guess what? As humans, 
everything that happens to someone else affects us. It is the way we learn and grow and empathize and fellowship and do life together as a society. So when a, a, a child gets abducted, a child gets raped, a teacher gets fired, a firefighter gets killed, a cop gets killed, an innocent bystander gets shot, whatever happens, it affects us all. So that is where the empathy must go for all, just like the Constitution says. Mm-hmm. That's good. Tough though. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to unpack. Would would so earlier I'd kind of said like mm-hmm. that this George Floyd uh stuff seems to have built yep. to uh a, a higher than it ever has. Yes. And yet you can see like you, you'll see all over social media and everything people posting the whole list of like the number of people that have been killed in the last I don't know 10 years mm-hmm. or whatever. Well, what was it? Eric Gardner was like 06 or something. So mm-hmm. it's maybe like 20 years, almost 20 years. But mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> how do you like how how does someone have empathy for so many of like, mm. you know, I mean, may, may, and maybe that's the answer is that you shouldn't have to have empathy for all of them because it's just, it shouldn't get to that point. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what the answer is. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. But like mm-hmm. at some point we just become like desensitized to yes. it. You yes. know, like, I mean, Breonna mm-hmm. Taylor's not talked about. Ahmaud Arbery even, even from like February isn't even talked about. And that was on video. And so like we get over it so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And part of, part of me, when I, when I saw the protests happening in Des Moines, uh, my my response was like i think in my head i thought oh well this will all be back to normal in two weeks yep and it, and it it might it you know it we're may. we're a week and uh, almost a week and a half into it mm-hmm. but like it, we, well first we don't want it to get back to n- normal, normal right but i guess my question is like how do you de- how can how can we develop <laughs> empathy for someone who's different than us yeah when there's so many of them so many um hmm. sorry my dog's barking here yeah i think i the way the way i look at it is like this um and this is just me personally um (laughs) is um i look at the the case of other atrocities that have happened against people um, like the Native Americans and like the the Hebrews or the Jews, um, the Jews have recovered in a lot of great ways. They're financially stable. Um, uh, in Germany, they don't have schools named after the Holocaust. Like they have mm-hmm. responsibly, uh, I won't say buried, but at least tended to those wounds. Maybe they've put a bandaid on them. I don't know. Um, maybe the the wounds are still deep. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I can't really, I don't know. I can empathize, but I don't know. Um, and the same thing with Native Americans. Um, I think I told you this. When you go up to Canada, all the Native Americans are the poor because mm-hmm. they the French and Indian War desecrated the Indians up there. And so when you go to Calgary and Winnipeg, these provinces in Alberta, the the homeless are the Native Americans, whereas here they're white and black and other all kinds of people. There is mostly Native Americans and, and mm-hmm. Caucasian people. Mm-hmm. And, and you see that... Um, you, you're like, wow, like, uh, there's a lot to be, like, empathetic for. There's a lot to be sad about. 
Uh, and I don't want to walk around every day sad. But every time I left my house, I would see it. I'd be like, I can't believe that this is what this is the result of progress for one culture over another. Like the Cowboys really won up there. The, the Indians lost, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. so I, it's, it's really to see. I think the way you, you process it is just every time. And that's it's a lot. Um, every time. A- every time you can. So does that mean you need to stay on CNN and Fox and on the on, on thing? I don't know yeah. if you have to be a, a media um, guru or anything, but I think that when something happens, rather than saying, oh, that's terrible, turn the channel, I think we need to read and, and then possibly um, react. Okay, read and react. So we read the story, not necessarily for a particular side or view or stance, but just for information. This person was 13 years old, on their way home, got into this. This is what happened. Loss of life. Okay, this was involved. Okay, empathy for all, for all. Even the uh, the person that did the offense, because that person at some point needs to come to terms with Jesus about what they did. And we're going to be thankful for that day for him. Uh, and so empathy for all. And it, it's a huge burden and it's a huge task, especially for white America. What I saw around the nation and in even our own state is I see white people on their knees apologizing to black people for all of the transgressions of their ancestors. That was a little much. That mm. was a little strong to me. I appreciate the gesture. Mm. You don't have to do that to me, Eric. Yeah. You know what you got to do to me? Yeah. What you've always done. You've always extended friendship, fellowship, kindness, advice, information, laughter, joy, mm. experience, leadership, just example, a light, scripture. Those are the things that I can see in you that I want to be a part of. And so as long as you're doing that, first first yeah before the reaction before the judgment before your uh philosophy comes in because you don't think about what that when you do it with me that's just who you are Mm. and that's who we are as friends i mean that's just we hug we were on hugging terms i almost hugged you i came in here but (laughs) we was kind of social distancing so COVID, yeah (laughs) (laughs) what do you do you know um i don't think that you can save everybody I don't think that it's necessary to grieve everybody. I think it is important to be empathetic to everybody. Uh, And that's whether you agree with them or not, because that is what we're called to do as Christians. We're we're called to to answer the, 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 the charge from God to be there for your neighbor, be there for them, not, not in judgment, because it says clearly thou shalt not judge. There are so many things that we're not supposed to do that are clearly laid out. Now, in this time frame, which is not of the time of the Bible, it's not spelled out exactly how we should do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then it becomes an everyday, every situation. When I see someone, like I'll give you an example. I was driving my Uber and I was downtown. And this is another cop story kind of. but um, And I was driving and I saw 10 African-American youth being pulled over. There's two cops and they were talking to them. I thought that I didn't want to come in there and jump in there and make the situation worse. I didn't come in there inflammatory or judgmental and these cops are wrong, you know, mistreating these kids. I want to find out what was going on. As an advocate, as a minister, as a community servant, servant, I ask, hey, what's going on here? Can I help? Hey, they won't give us our IDs. They won't give us their names. There was an assault that took place. Talked to the kids. Found out there was a homeless man. Walked through their crowd. Bumped, knocked one of the little girls down. 
of course, the males reacted and protected yeah. him. Now, they, they assaulted the man. The man assaulted someone. And I asked the cop, I was like, hey, well, where's the guy? Well, we already questioned him and let him go. I said, okay, then we're going to question these kids and let them go. To me, that's fair. Okay? Yeah. You have cameras. You, I'm going to make sure every kid gives you their student ID. We're going to call every single one of their parents. And I'm going to get all these kids home. Because they were calling the paddy wagon. They were ready to lock those kids up. So it was my responsibility in that moment as I had an opportunity, okay? I had an opportunity to help. The cops didn't really appreciate me me jumping in. No, they didn't. I'm not really. No. There was a couple of them that were giving me a little bit of feedback, and I said, my name is Khalil Carter. You can Google me. My whole <laughs> life is on the internet. Yeah. I have been doing youth advocacy for 20 years, and I want to make sure this goes down right. Yeah. I respect police. I do. They have a hard job, but I wasn't going to let them misaligned their 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 procedure in that moment just because they were outnumbered yeah. just because there was an assault and just because these kids were being disrespectful they were they yeah. were yeah so what i did was i got it all done I, I called three three suvs we took all those kids home and now from what i hear the homeless man was charged hmm. so without without my intervention those kids would have went to jail they went to juvie yeah. they had an experience maybe changed their respect wow. on police but now they have perspective of hey I want to be like that dude when I grow up. Mm. I want to be a helper. I didn't disrespect the police. I didn't tell them to get your hands off of that kid. Back up. Da, 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 da. I said, sir, may I help you? Here are who I am. This is what I'm doing. Give me two seconds. Let me help you. Did it done. Got the pictures taken. Done, 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 done. That's yeah. our responsibility. How are yeah. we going to be agents of change if we can't be agents of, of altruism? Mm -hmm. Change comes with helping. I would help you do any men's group. You would help me do any sports ministry. And we just met a year ago. How could that not be the process for someone yeah. who's committed their life to serving? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm. What I'm hearing a lot is just like sort of doing this. Like you, you can't. It's that Martin Luther King quote from the beginning. Like if you're 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 never going to get anywhere. You're not even, even developing empathy is probably fairly hard if you're yeah. not like talking to someone yeah and even like to be honest even with this conversation like i hesitated to text you and we're friends and i know you're not going <laughs> to judge me i know you're not going to like give me a bad time or anything yeah. but i was still like eh, does it would he want to like would, mm -hmm. would he would he mm -hmm. would he be open to that and my wife was kind of like why wouldn't he be you know like there was still that little bit of like these conversations are n not always mm. comfortable mm. so one thing you said that that I wanted to ask you about was was the the Native Americans are the the, the because they they lost the war in Canada yep. that they're now like the lower income group. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think in this country and and maybe in the world I don't know mm -hmm. I I've never left the, this country. So. <laughs> um, Gotta get out more. Yeah, yeah. There's there's this uh, idea of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. What's what's yeah. your response to that in maybe white people saying that to black people? Sure. Yep. What, what, what let, do you? Let, how do you? How do you handle that? Okay. Or so let's look say? at. I'll give you an example. Let's look at the NFL right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Thirty years ago, the NFL looked a lot different than it did right now. It does right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think the NFL is 80 percent African American. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of white kids that don't get an opportunity to play in the NFL because of that disparity yeah. Yeah. disparity i mean there are positions that you really can't even play now if you're a white boy that, yeah. that's be yeah. honest yeah. defensive back is a tough one 
Yeah. Running back, other than Christian McCaffrey, you can't, probably can't name another one. When, back when we were growing up, we had John Allstar and John Riggins and uh, so Mike Allstar, John Riggins, and all these great – what's the one that played for um, the Miami Dolphins? Uh, that great running back, Larry Zonka mm. or whatever. They mm. had great players, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they were big, physical, gifted athletes. And now you can barely find a white running back. Um, and so um, I think – When you're not giving, when you're not given an opportunity to excel, then excellence becomes secondary to you. And and I'll, I'll, I'll preface by giving being some real honest truths. There is a problem in our African American communities when it comes to education being not cool. Okay, I'm an Uncle Tom if I have a degree. I'm 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 a I'm not hood enough. I'm not good enough. If I go to college, I'm a college boy. Oh, if I go to church, I'm a church boy because now you're believing in, in the white Jesus and they use a slave Bible to enslave us. So now you're believing in the white man's God and these mm. these very very strong words. And so it's a very tough place to be in in our own communities when that's exactly what it takes to alleviate that burden off of them in the first place. Yeah. Um. And so, um. You have a kid who grows up in a home where he has one parent. Let's say one of the parents died. Let's say one of the parents went to jail because we had a crime bill passed that locked up African-Americans disproportionately through the 90s. And Joe Biden and Bill Clinton fathered that bill. Um, And so... Without your father in your home, a lot of boys were too much for their moms. And so they ran rampant, okay? And they got locked up too, and they followed in that same. That, that, that's kind of systematic again. You mm-hmm. lock up the father, the son probably will follow in his footsteps, and it's all free labor for the state um, in, in a way because I've seen people profit off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I know that the deck is stacked against me, do I go all in? I, I don't. I play my hands very cautiously, step by step. Um, And I think uh, for a lot of Americans, there is no obstruction. So let's say for you, you were growing up, you you were around your peers, you were around your culture, not a lot of problems for you outside of just normal people stuff. You got to go to college. You you got a scholarship because you were talented. Then you moved on and forth and forth on with, with your life. I think for you took another kid who has a similar aspects. There's crime in his neighborhood. There's drugs in his neighborhood. There's a pawn store in every corner. There's fast food on every corner. There's unhealthy, unhealthy, dangerous um, pitfalls around every corner. Then there's police over policing. Then there is mandatory minimums for a slap on the wrist. So if, even if you're in a car, a stolen car with your friends, you get charged. Now you got a felony at 15. Um, whereas some sometimes the cops would let the, all those kids go because they mm-hmm. know their parents. They go to church with their parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. So without dads, without structure, without God, because they, they sometimes run away from Christianity, without grace and without help and resources, there is no bootstrap. Can you tie up your boots without strings? You'll use tape. Mm-hmm. You'll use glue. You're going to start using all kinds of things. That, that means... The, the rap rappers, they yeah. do what they got to do. Athletes, d- drug dealers, 
um, I mean, pimps, you know, all, yeah. they, they, they'll go to all these other means. You never thought about doing any of those no, things. No, no. Because you knew that all I had to do was just do the basics. Yep. And I'm going to get to a point. For them, doing the basics gets them to the point that their dad got to. Yeah. Which is jail, dead, children by many different women, just poor socioeconomic situations. So the bootstrap only is there if the strings are in the boots. Yeah. But they took the strings out. And so now we have to create strings. That's why you hear about black entrepreneurs supporting black businesses because they're trying to instill some type of value into these kids that were raised without fathers. And the only way you can do that is by giving them resources. Then you have affirmative action. You have the Rooney Rule. I mean, I'm sure that there are kids, white kids and the other kids around the nation that need scholarships. But because they are represented, better represented, they have families that can pay. They don't get scholarships. In Arkansas, they have a challenge scholarship for minorities. If you have a 3.0 and a 21, you get a full ride. Oh, yeah. Full ride. Yeah. Right. I missed it by a point. So yeah. I never yeah. got it. But that's, that was they, that's what they did to help African-Americans go to college. Yeah. And so that people hate affirmative action for that reason. They think that it's an unnecessary advantage. But mm-hmm. think about the starting point. Mm-hmm. Um. I think there was a a study done, um, a diversity study or a racism study about people who they all saw the same line. And, and you can find this online. They saw mm. on, on one line. Mm-hmm. They said, if you had two parents in your house, step forward. Mm. If your parents have never been found guilty of a crime, step forward. And at the end, they stopped. And they said, okay, now start life from here. Mm. There were white kids all at the front. And there were minorities toward the back. A couple minorities were up front. Yeah. And that's where you have the Barack Obamas and the Colin Powells and, and those men who yeah. have progressively had an, a better opportunity. The yeah. laces were in their boots. But yeah. there are some people who had the laces cut the day they got out of a womb because they were born to a yeah. crack mother. And that because those drugs were put into the neighborhoods yeah. to population control, whatever, government, FBI, whatever it was, the same way that the bricks somehow magically appeared at all these protest sites when the yeah. deck is stacked against you the bootstrap idea doesn't fit my feet right mm-hmm. and that's the hard part about it because when you put a golf club in your hand and a golf club in my hand at six years old we're going to hit equally bad <laughs> but if you get golf lessons and i don't when you're 14 and i'm 14 i'm playing basketball and you're playing golf and now golf you can get a scholarship and don't have to be Tiger Woods. Yeah, I got to be Michael Jordan to get a scholarship in basketball. Yeah, and it's tough. Yeah, that's. I mean, well, tangent on golf. That's one of the, one of the things I, you, you know, I love golf and uh-huh. I love the sport and it it, 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 ha, it yeah it it, it 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 has a a history of racism and it's it's it tends to be very delayed and very like it's it's reactionary rather than mm. proactive mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. so can i ask you some nfl questions of course got, yeah. and it, it got... could be racism it could be classism because mm. classism is similar right yeah if you're not in a certain affluence you don't get into the club yeah. and and that's been the way it's been in america yeah. for a long time i think now the classes the classes are closer than they've ever been and that's why we're looking at each other so closely because we're right here together. People mm-hmm. are poor, people are middle class, and then people are very rich. So the middle class is disappearing, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's evaporating. Yeah. And and that's just kind of what it is. It's a yeah. sense of unity and some solidarity, even though we didn't even try. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned the, the Rooney Rule a couple yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and for anyone who i don't know if anyone's going to listen to this but <laughs> I, I i love it um the rooney rule is that it, every nfl head coach opening is it just a head coach yep is required to uh interview is it just a minority i or think it's it just a, yep just up just i think it's an african-american is it african-american Afri- okay. um and by the way, do you prefer African American or black? Or I, I prefer black, but African American is politically correct, so I accept okay. that. But okay. African American could be a white South African that, that migrated to this country. Okay, he would also be an African American. Oh, yeah. So that's why it doesn't fit all scenarios. Yeah. yeah. And then each country in Africa, Africa's not a country; it's a continent. Yeah. So yeah. we don't say you're a Swedish American. We say you're a European American. So that's yeah. kind of it's not it's continental for africa all of a sudden and then it's country based or whatever so yeah it's it's just kind of a a stretch but yeah huh um that's deep (laughs) yeah so what's what's your take on because that's that's like a a systematic change in the nfl Mm -hmm. is the rooney rule Mm -hmm. but also i've heard some negative things about it Mm -hmm. because like when um mike tomlin is i mean mike tomlin's got a job but like when when I feel like I've heard him say, maybe even before he was at the Pittsburgh Steelers, mm-hmm. that when he was interviewed, he felt like he was just being interviewed as a formality sure. that they already knew that they were going to hire this white guy. And he was just it was just wasting his time. Mm. You know, yet, mm-hmm. how do you view that kind of systematic change? Because on the surface, it appears to be good. Like, let's mm. let's give minorities a chance. But then like there's still the freedom to make the decision of like, oh, I'm still going to go with the white guy. Yeah, that you know happened this I mean? year. That happened with Eric Bieniemy, uh, offense coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. So he he helps Mahomes become Mahomes. He was a great running back at Colorado in okay. the NFL himself. Mm-hmm. Um, offense coordinator for the Chiefs. The Gi- was the Giants job that came came up. I think it was the Giants job okay. that came up, and they gave it to a special teams coordinator guy yeah, who that, hadn't that, have nowhere near experience. Guy. Yes. Um, and that's 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 their choice. Um, yeah. But the Rooney Rule, and I, I look at it as this, necessary but not effective. Um, mm. You have to level the playing field just for the sake of equity, not equality. Not equality. We'll never get to equality. Plus, I don't know if equality is even necessary. We don't have to have the exact same. What we have to have to do is relatively the same opportunity. Um, and Eric Bieniemy, who has had this long, lustrous, luxurious career, didn't even get the opportunity. And I think um, that's why the Rooney Rule is in place. Now, I, there are pros and cons of it. Yes, it is sometimes it's a dog and pony show. You get guys in there just to say you talk to them, and John yeah. Gruden's process in Oakland was the same way. They knew they were going to hire John Gruden. They paid John Gruden a whole lot of money, and John Gruden still has not, John Gruden still has not uh, produced, yet three black head coaches were fired that same year in their first year. The guy in Arizona, the guy in Denver, and then somebody, one, one, other, one other coach were fired in their first year. Well, mm-hmm. the, the, their replacements didn't do well in their first years, and they still have jobs, and they're not African-Americans. Mm-hmm. So the Rooney Rule is necessary but not effective. There actually needs to be more provisions to the Rooney Rule to safeguard people who who need equity in their professional workplace. As the only black member at black staff member at Hope, mm. yeah. <laughs> I have a unique experience with that as well, but it's different. I believe that Mike brought me in to add diversity, not in order to satisfy it. Mm. Okay. He didn't need a black staff member. He didn't need that. No. Mike Mike is very diverse himself. Yeah. He didn't need that. 
but I'm sure it was good to have someone that people like you, myself, or, or Chris Ganeri, or anybody could actually talk to and see. What is that like? I know Leela and I have become very mm-hmm. close, and she's old school. I mean, one time she said boy to me, and yeah. I had to tell her, I'm 44. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say boy to me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I know what she meant, because she's like yeah. mama, right? Yeah. I didn't, yeah. not offensive. Um, I think it's good. So I think he, 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 what he intended to do was purposeful, and it was effective. Um, and not just for the sake of it. And I know, so I know exactly what you mean. I want to encourage anybody who hears this or anybody who struggles with that is that imagine your kid being disabled. Okay. He has a wheelchair and there are no wheelchair ramps. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can't get to the opportunity if there's not a path. Mm. So let's make some more ramps, but let's make those ramps for people who walk, people who ride, people who jog, people who are in wheelchairs, so that accessibility is not a problem. Mm-hmm. And because it is, accessibility is a problem. Yeah. Wow. So the other NFL question I want to ask <laughs> was we've had a huge shift just in the last week on Colin Kaepernick and yeah, the kneeling, wow. which I'm just blown away blown by away. our seemingly ability to change our, like, societal stance on it i mean <laughs> maybe not societal stance because because i think it was maybe when he did it maybe it was like a little split and now it seems like it's tipping like people mm-hmm. are like for that mm-hmm. part of it is maybe the image of a white man kneeling mm-hmm. literally on a you know like <laughs> that was all too like yeah Real, well, not, not to mm-hmm. not yeah. It was, too it, real, was, yeah. it was too like perfect for yeah. what he was doing. Yeah. Um do you have any thoughts on like kneeling for the anthem or like I mean cuz cuz yeah. you were in the NFL. Like yeah. would you would you have I uh, maybe Let maybe me, that's an uncomfortable no, question no, no, to ask. Not, it, like would you have kneeled or would yeah. would I'll, what, I'll tell you. Yeah. Like so uh, I think before you even say anything yeah. like I th- I think it's just the perfect I mean, I was blown away when he first did it at the blowback. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, mm-hmm. In our like, like valuing of a piece of cloth over a human life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that int- that blew me away to the fact like I wish I wish we could have that conversation this conversation then <laughs> yeah. and now because. At the time, I didn't know what to say or what to do. Like, mm-hmm. I just knew it was something wasn't sitting right. Um, and I don't. Yeah, anyway, so yeah. I'll just throw that out. Yeah. To you. So like, what, I'll answer your first question. One, if I was in the NFL, I would have kneeled um, yeah. because I believe that humanitarian rights are more important than anything else. Um, number two, I would have knelt because I heard the background story of why he was kneeling. Mm. So there was this green, there's a green beret, right? You you understood. I did. Yeah, I did. And so did the green beret. He said, look, you protesting the flag is disrespectful to those who have fallen. So if you kneel in reverence to them, it shows that you're respecting their sacrifice. So he began kneeling at the request of a green beret. Oh, did he really? Yes. See, that that story is not known. This no. is the truth. That's not. That's not told at all. That's not. That's not told. Wow. The reason why Colin knelt is because the Green Beret—I can't think of his name right now—implored him to not 
stand in protest, but rather kneel in reverence and show respect for the fallen. And even with that truth, many people still made it about the flag and the anthem. And it was about that too, because the 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 symbolization of what the flag symbolizes to African-Americans is different for what it symbolizes for other Americans. Slavery, oppression, Jim Crow, you know, you know, protesting, marching, all this, that killing of our peaceful leaders, a lot of things, different things. But it also symbolizes to a lot of people who had people in the military that fought them coming home to a country where they weren't given the same awards and medals as their white counterparts. They weren't Mm -hmm. given the same medical treatment and resources as some of their white counterparts. So the the country that they were fighting for still didn't love them when they came back. So that anthem started to ring less true to them. Then people found the other stanza. And the other stanza speaks to terrorizing blacks or people for not following or towing the line terrorizing with death and murder and so then you so you have these righteous black people or what we call woke black people who uh will not stand for that and say i'm not going to support a system that will blatantly disregard my life or my contribution to our success um and so when he was kneeling i was a coach um, I think it was was this, was this around 15 or 14 that it was happening. Yeah. So I was coaching uh, at the pro level, and I remember uh, being in the booth uh, during the Canadian national anthem because I was in the Canadian league. Yeah. And I remember watching around the world people kneeling, and I was like, "I'm a coach. I can't kneel. If I kneel, I'm fired. Oh, right. I can't. I can't. I am a company man as a coach, so I have to toe the line, whether I agree or not." So what I started doing was kneeling in prayer. Not doing the anthem. Every other chance I could get. So before a game, I would I would kneel for people who were kneeling. And then during the anthem, I would stand for people who were standing. I didn't have to protest during that time. I didn't, but I was privileged. Mm-hmm. And maybe Colin was too. But maybe he felt compelled to do so because his platform was greater. Yeah. And he had an opportunity to, to impact many more, positively and negatively. And now as we look at it now, with the Derek Chauvin episode being at the front of it, we we can understand that it was that important to him and others to risk their livelihoods, their entire livelihoods, to do something that was controversial. Yeah. Um Hindsight is twenty twenty, and now that people are getting it, it's the same. Whereas lynching used to be a thing, and 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 segregation used to be a thing, and not eating at the drinking the same water fountain or using the same bathrooms or or used to be a thing. And then we learn, so we learned now. We've learned, and we're still slow to to pick up the actual graph, the the the, the um the impact of really what was going on, but. Better late than never, in my opinion. We just need more people to know what you found out today is that Colin was actually serving someone else's desires when he decided to do it the way he did it. And regardless of his peaceful protest, because there's these arguments that no matter how we protest, we march, we protest, we sit in, we pray, it's still never the right protest because it's still anti uh 
anti-American to some people. Um, hmm. And that's what American was built on. Yeah. So people realize that that is part of our constitution, our heritage, our culture. Then you don't have to like it, but you have to respect it. So now we get to a dialogue about this now and it's still time to make the change. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still not kneeling for the flag, but um, I'm kneeling every other chance I can get. And mm. I think other people are too. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if that answers the question. No, that, no that, that did. That did. I, just... I, I challenge people to go, go read about the Green Beret that prompted him to kneel. That's going to change your perspective. It's been out there, but I think it's that not... it's just not covered as yeah. well as it needs to be. Yeah, and I haven't a, heard it. It's a huge part of the whole story. Yeah, like he was going. Yeah, no, no. Did he do some incendiary things? Yeah, wearing pig socks to practice. Yeah, <laughs> did he and f the police? You know that kind of stuff too much. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't do that. That's a job. I'm not going to say that about a preacher, a fireman, a teacher. I don't care how many teachers sleep with students. I'm not going to condemn the entire, mm. you know, profession. Um, but I will stand behind a cause that is asking peacefully reverently for change mm-hmm. you have to get behind that or then you're you're the change that needs to happen yeah so someone if like i said if anyone listens to this i've i've gotten enough i've got more than enough out of this <laughs> this is this is great for me great. um if no one else listens to it then i'm i'm, I'm glad i did it <laughs> um what would you say to someone like what can they do? Like mm-hmm. I, I've heard a lot about this last week. Like there's this this catchphrase like silence is violence. Yeah. And what regardless of what you think of that, but like basically not speaking up when you have privilege. Mm-hmm. When 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 you don't fully understand something or when you haven't experienced it or whatever it is, what would what would you say to a white person who's never experienced Racism doesn't really understand it, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. What should they do to educate themselves, to help the cause, mm-hmm. to develop empathy? Yeah, yeah. In, I, in this, yeah, a couple, a couple. That, that, well, it's a couple. That's I mean, one I would say is James one nineteen. Uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak. If you don't understand we have to become informed because lack of knowledge and lack of information is technically ignorance. I mean, we hate that word ignorant because it, it has a worse connotation than the word actually means. It just yeah. means not knowledgeable. Yeah. Me, I'm ignorant of country music. I really am. Yeah. There are some really great songs and I catch myself singing them all the time, but it is a genre that is not necessarily for me yeah. uh, as, a, as a black man. But I'm married to a white woman and she listens yeah. to country music and so I hear it, but I'm ignorant of the value of it. So yeah. I don't support the CMAs. My owner was, um, um, I'm trying to think of his name right now, um, Tim McGraw when I was in Nashville. And I used to go to his concerts all the time. So, like of, of the team that you yeah, played Yeah, for? he was the owner of our Nashville team. Really? owned by the okay. uh, Tennessee Titans and yeah. Tim McGraw. Okay. And so I got to go to the concerts. And, and I was living in Nashville, so I got to go to some bars and hunky-tonk. And, yeah. did, you know, I did some line <laughs> dancing. And so it wasn't that I hated it. Yeah. I just didn't, I wasn't knowledgeable. Yeah. And so they, I missed it. I missed the beauty of it until yeah. I got to experience it. And that's part of my point. Um, I think the other thing you, you can do, like it has to go with the James 119 verse, is that impl- implant yourself somewhere where you can just listen. What we do is we set up opportunities for us to debate. Okay? 
there is no need to debate something you don't understand. That's impossible to do almost. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is counterpointing. And that means you're not learning and you're not listening. And maybe that person's not either. So if you don't have something substantial or profound to in, to include, then maybe listening is the way that you profoundly affect that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you get into Facebook I would just, you know, maybe if there's a Facebook post that has a lot of comments and it, I would read them and I would see what people are saying and where they are. Then I would go back and look at who's saying it and where they are and then find out where you fit in the middle of that. There's also um, a educator or academic pursuit for, for intelligence. And it's not just whether you have the IQ or you don't. It's about how much you read. OK, for me, my spiritual journey came from being born Islamic. Not for very long. I was mm. two years old when I converted to Christianity. So yeah. I don't know anything about Islam. Mm. But I know that it is in my heritage. So before I fully accepted Jesus as the Lord of my life, I had to go study the Quran. Mm. And when I read the Quran, it is so similar to the Bible that I still use that book. That book has some of the same teachings. Yeah. They just believe that man is the king of the earth and the leader versus us as God and Jesus as our our, our heads of our lives. Hmm. So I can't get behind that. I'm not the leader of nothing. I'm 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 shadows and dust. Um, so that's why I can't be Islamic, even yeah. though I do believe that some of what they say is right. Um, and it's just like I know that what the Bible says is right. But reading did that for me. Okay, there's the Torah. Okay, there are pages um, of the the Old Testament that are not in the Bible. So if you really want to know about the 12 tribes of Israel and what the descendants of Abraham and and, and um, uh, Noah, what they really did and where their people went, you would read. Mm-hmm. And you would accept that as a truth, if not necessarily the truth, at, at least a truth. Mm-hmm. And with some truth, you're no longer ignorant. Mm-hmm. You're knowledgeable. Then it's on you to continue to read. So I would read. Read some some Nikki Giovanni's. Read Tupac Shakur, read Huey P. Newton, read Malcolm X. Just read it from a perspective of just listening. Those are very controversial books, okay? Um, don't You don't have to change your ideology, but mm-hmm. you do have to change the way you listen. Yeah. If you listen with a response in mind, you're not listening. You're only hearing. So in order to truly listen, you have to embrace what the person is saying as a perspective not of yours and then seek to understand where they're coming from, then the opportunity to debate may present itself in another capacity, and now you're better armed. What I see is, and from both sides of every spectrum, is that there's ignorance running rampant. People don't know that Colin Kaepernick was asked by a Green Beret yeah. Neal. Yeah. If they did, maybe it wouldn't have been, it might have still been anti-flag, but it wouldn't yeah. definitely wouldn't have been anti-military. And, and that's where we come. We, we, the truth shall set you free. The truth shall be a tool that you can impact others. And once you seek out the truth, just like you seek Jesus' face, you seek out the truth, you are better prepared to listen and to discuss. Mm-hmm. And that's where we need to be, listening, discussing, and growing. If we do that, then a, 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 something that happens like a, 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 a George Floyd incident immediately gets addressed something like the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery doesn't take two months to get litigated it gets discussed because people are listening and they are ready to debate and that's the 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 listening and discussing like going back and forth between those two that doesn't happen 
maybe it happens in some pockets of social media, but rare. You know, rare, mostly it's just the that's just the talking and not listening. Yep. And, and you, you can listen like I like how you just read even people or listen to people that you disagree with. No comment. But but like yeah. this this whole thing, like I've just I just wanted to like listen to you right. the whole time, and I I I feel like I've learned a ton and mm-hmm. gotten some empathy and perspective that mm-hmm. you've experienced that I have not. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so it's been really great for you me. You know, it's funny, Eric, is in the other, the, the shoe fits on the other side too. There are African-Americans or blacks that are uh, disappro- disappropriately or disproportionately being racist against whites. I know mm-hmm. a lot of white guys in the neighborhoods that got beat up for just being white. And so those stories exist too. And that truth is powerful the same. It's, it is a equally evil atmosphere that we're fighting against we we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the principalities of evil we know what, what what side of the battle we're actually on but it is a spiritual battle people who do not believe are in the way of us truly accomplishing what we need to do for the cloth um but what what also is in the way is people who are in the cloth who let their political ideologies govern their faith that can be possible it can be possible to be both but you can't serve two masters. Mm-hmm. So we need to put Jesus on top and let these men that are under Jesus reflect his values. I always, my, my, I always in conversations that I think are not going in a good way, or if I think I can't convince someone by using uh, facts or, or, or knowledge or data, because I post a lot of different articles and I make sure they're reputable places. It can't be I shock you.com. I'm, I'm yeah, not posting that yeah. article um, is that I say, what would Jesus do? And that's where I leave it. I, I have no more arguing after that because or, or debating because I've tried to data, fact, you empathize, whatever I can do. And then if that still is not reaching your heart, then I give it to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try it first. And maybe people tell me I, I do too much. and I may be a little bit of a, a over pursuer of justice sometimes because I care so much about people understanding things that are not to their comfort. Um, but in the end, I give it to Jesus and that's where I leave it. Mm-hmm. That's good. I think that's a good way to. I've I've kept you from your family long enough. Man, I appreciate so I, you, Eric, I, pre- I appreciate you coming <laughs> here and talking to me and teaching me. And oh, thank you for listening. Is is teaching there me. anything that you want to say that I, that you think I've I've missed or that I think I should you, I should still hear? Um, or, I mean, I mean, I know this isn't just an hour and a half conversation, but <laughs> no, I'm, I'll say one more thing. I mean, women suffrage is just as important as minority advocacy, mm. um, youth advocacy as important as anything as well. There are a lot of underrepresented communities in our in our country that need our guidance. And if you look at what I just said, that just leaves kind of like white males on their own island. White males need help, too. They do. They need help with empathy and understanding and also with equity. They need to somehow learn to share and not be afraid of their legacies being overturned. No one's breeding out white America. No one is trying to phase out white America. White America is great. It has produced so many different innovations over the history of the world. But imagine the innovations of the others being in weighed as, as the same. The cotton gin, the, the telegraph, all of these had different influences from multiple people. You know, I think McDonald's was started by a black man before mm-hmm. he sold it. Um, all of these things, these stories, these truths get kind of mixed and lost in the shuffle. But the thing we have to remember is that in America, anything is possible for anybody, a refugee, an immigrant, a minority, a 
Anglo-Saxon, an affluent, a baseball player, it's possible. So where do we provide sustenance? We provide sustenance in equity, okay? Not necessarily giving away your wealth, but if you got $40 billion, you don't need that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there is someone, some area town, some some city, some state, some YMCA, some daycare that needs some things. Mm-hmm. I think we share what we've been given, and I think that increases the equity for us all. Yeah. That's good. 